Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. And we thought it was uh, uh, time to check in with Kevin Leonard, who is the executive director of the North Carolina Association of County Commissioners. Uh, because right now, uh, all forms of all levels of government are uh, in uh, sort of a uh, period of adjustment and uh, assessment, I guess. And so we thought we would bring Kevin in to talk about how the current conditions of this economy are affecting the county commissions. Welcome, Kevin. Nice to have you back. Hi, Don. Uh, thank you so much for having us back. And uh, what a unique um uh, situation it is to do this uh, virtually. So I uh, really appreciate you uh, you doing that and having us on your show. Thank you. That's right. I failed to mention the fact that Kevin is, is in his office and I'm in mine and we're using Zoom to, as a lot of people are using Zoom. Zoom has turned out to be a, a wonderful thing during this period of time. It really is. You know, we actually conducted a, uh, a virtual county assembly day yesterday and we had a um, almost 200 county uh, commissioners, county officials join us to hear the Speaker of the House as well as uh, Governor Cooper address our county commissioners via Zoom. Uh, and uh, just to think three months ago, you know, we, we really weren't comfortable using video uh, technology at all. And here we are, we're all Zoom experts. And in fact, one of our executive officers, Frank Williams down in Brunswick County, he's, I think, coined a new phrase of uh, Zoom fatigue. <laughs> we might all uh, be having a little bit of Zoom fatigue these days. Well, you know, out of every uh, situation like this, we learn some new tricks. And I think we are learning that uh, this will be a valuable tool after this condition passes because uh, there are a lot of meetings that uh, probably could have uh, been held uh, by Zoom or something similar to Zoom. There, there are several sources uh, of products that uh, do the same thing, but you know, there's a, there's a significant difference in having a teleconference where you don't see the faces and having a zoom conference where you actually see the faces. I, I agree. You know, I, I think this is going to open up new avenues, uh, of communication. Uh, and as an organization that represents 100 counties from Cherokee to dare, um, you know, we, we often have a lot of meetings where we have uh, commissioners come in, but I actually think this is going to help our organization reach um, more commissioners across the state who might have not, you know, been able to take the five hours to drive in from the mountains or the coast uh, to, to join us for some meetings. So, yeah, you have to, you know, this is a glass half full kind of thing, uh, viewpoint, but uh, I think this is going to help uh, uh, keep us in, engaged with our commissioners and, and county officials across the state. So that is a good thing. Well, North Carolina, as uh, you know, as we all know, is a long state, and uh, you mentioned Cherokee County. It, Cherokee County, I think somebody said it's closer to four other state capitals than it is the state capital of North Carolina. Five, maybe. It sure, yeah, that, that, that's correct. It is. Well, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the current situation because, of course, budgeting will be a major concern, and there are two aspects to budgeting. One is revenue, and uh, one is expense, and. Of course, county commissions uh, have their source of revenue, uh, turns out basically to be property tax. And, uh, and uh, that uh, will probably not change a great deal during this period of time. So maybe county commissions, uh, county commissioners will be having an easier task than, than maybe city government. So you, you, you'd think so. However, um, well, first let me start with county budgets are due at the end of June. And by statute, by law in the state of North Carolina, counties must have a balanced budget. So 
It's not like you can run a deficit budget. Um, so they're, they're scrambling right now to figure out how to create a balanced budget. And there's, as you indicated, there's two really main sources of revenue. And as you said, in a budget, the, in a basic budget, you have revenues and you have expenditures. And on the revenue side, um, the two main sources of revenue at a county level is sales tax and property tax. And you just mentioned property tax. Let oh, me set property. Yeah. Yep. Let me let me set property tax aside for a second, um, and let's talk about sales tax. So sales tax is going to be off significantly due to the uh, COVID nineteen pandemic, because with the shutdown that has occurred. You know, there's not a lot of sales going on and counties, just as the state is forecasting a significant budget deficit uh, coming into the next fiscal year. The state announced this week, state leaders, uh, Speaker Moore, as I mentioned, was on our county assembly day and the governor as well. Were, were, and Senator Berger has been talking about a $4 billion with a B, $4 billion deficit in the state budget next year. And you, you're going to likely see uh, corresponding uh, deficits in county budgets, probably in the 20 to 40 percent range, just based on sales tax revenues. And maybe later, Don, we can talk about sort of the revenue replacement replacement uh, that's going to in assistance that's going to be needed from the federal government. But um, so so they're looking at trying to estimate what that will be to make all of those expenditures, the mandated services run, not until later. I think will we see some impacts on property tax because what will happen, and if you play this out, people who are uh, unemployed, uh, people who have found themselves without jobs due to the pandemic are going to find themselves in some uh, situations where they may not be a, a, uh, able to pay their property tax. And so that's going to hit later on down the road, probably you know, months down the road, the county governments will see a, uh, a decrease in property tax. So counties are very concerned right now about what revenue uh, projections look like uh, for, for counties uh, moving forward. Well, uh, yet the uh, school systems still have to operate. Uh, law enforcement has to be provided. Uh, all the services that uh, both cities and counties have to perform uh, are still going to be expected to be performed. And, and uh, as you said, uh, by law, we can't operate in a deficit condition, so it's uh, it's difficult. And I think the other thing that is, of course, a little confusing about this whole issue is nobody knows quite when things will turn around significantly. Uh, at one time, the economists were thinking it was going to be sort of a V recovery, that we would have a, a spike pretty soon, but I think now almost all the economists are all saying that it's going to be a slow recovery. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, I'm not an economist, nor am I a, a forecaster. I wish I had a crystal ball to be able to tell us what was certainly going to happen. But at, at where we sit right now and, and from what I think we're seeing, it seems it will be a slower recovery than a longer recovery and the, uh, a shorter recovery, excuse me. Um, because the business community, I, I hope and pray that, you know, the business communities have a, a strong rebound and a quick rebound. But in, in government, uh, especially in county governments, those economies, uh, they're, they're a different type of economy. They lag uh, in their recovery. And um, a quick explanation of uh, how sales tax works in North Carolina. So if, if, let's say one of your listeners goes to the store and they purchased um, good a good, and and they pay 
the they pay the the price and then on on top of that there's a sales tax there's a state levied sales tax and then on top of that there's a a county level sales tax and those vary that rate varies across the state but altogether you're looking somewhere in the seven seven percent range uh i think the cap is about 7.5 percent uh for maybe 7.75 in some of our uh larger counties but that that money then goes to the state department of, of revenue it sits there for about three months and then it's redistributed out to the counties in some very complex formulas, uh, but it's redistributed back out to the county. So counties will not see the, imp the true impacts of the sales tax loss uh, for a couple more months. And that makes, uh, that makes calculation of budgets a little bit tricky because we're, you know, we're in uh, May now, we're at the uh, sort of mid-May point while we're recording this. And we saw this start to take a hold in March, April. And so April, May, June, July-ish is when counties will start to see the real fiscal impacts of, of this type of, of the pandemic. And so it's gonna be very interesting budgeting and it's gonna be very interesting to see how those revenues play out. And then as I said, longer term, you will start to see some impacts uh, to potentially the property tax base as it, uh, as it takes a hit as well. So. And, and, and then on the other side, if I may go a little bit further here, Don, you know, on the other side, counties, uh, counties in juxtaposition to the cities have a lot of human services that they're in charge of, meaning the public health department is, is administered by the county. And of course, public health right now, critically important uh, governmental service, uh, trying to protect the public health given a, a pandemic. There's the social services aspect of things. The, the things that have to happen like child protective services, adult protective services, foster care, all of these things are mandated services that have to continue. And those are things that are offered uh, by the county. You can't just stop doing those like a, a business. If you don't have the revenues coming in, you can't just cut that service. We're mandated by the federal government as well as the state government to continue operation of those services. So if we have to cut, it's going to end up being uh, potentially in, you know, I, I'm a, assuming like in personnel and discretionary spending and, and discretionary programming and things like that. So it's, these aren't easy choices that our county governments are, are, are looking uh, at in the future. Well, uh, lots of difficult choices. And of course, uh, it's compounded by the fact that uh, uh, a number of counties have uh, enjoyed some very good times recently because of all the growth and so forth. And so uh, along with cities, we've, we've kind of uh, uh, let the, I guess, let the expenditures uh, increase because we've, we've had the funds and of course the citizens are asking for services. And so uh, once you get used to something, it, it's, it's kind of hard to take it away. Indeed. Um, indeed yeah. it is. Yes. Well, we, in, in, in other segments of this program, we want to talk about the school systems because that of course is uh, in most cases is a County function. There are a few school city school systems, but for the most part, K through 12 is a county function along with the state. Uh, uh, and the, those budgets, of course, are very difficult to look at because, again, we don't quite know what the calendar is. And, and the solutions to some of their problems have expenses rather than cuts. So uh, I'll tell you what let's do. Let's take a break at this point in time. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about the possible ways that the counties can balance the budget by the things that perhaps can be cut. And then what also what will happen to the school systems. And we'll do that when we return with the next segment of Carolina Newsmakers. 
One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Tom has been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. I was really starting to worry. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives, but he was there beside me. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers with Kevin Leonard. He's the executive director of the North Carolina Association of County Commissioners. Uh, they represent all 100 counties of the state of North Carolina. Uh, they work hand in glove with the League of Municipalities, which represents the cities. Uh, of course, in of course, cities or in counties, and so there's a close relationship. And uh, uh, you two organizations work hand in glove on a number of matters because the uh, uh, the projects and the needs and the uh, concerns are are very similar. In, indeed, uh, we do. You know, local government uh, is what I call the uh, the practitioners of government, and I'll tell you, Don, it's been really interesting to watch our intergovernmental systems operate together during this pandemic. It's really been a, a basic, for me, a, a, almost a, a good lesson in, in government and um, policy because the federal government has been reacting to the pandemic by sending uh, assistance in the form of, of funding and regulatory relief. Uh, the state government then comes in and, and takes their role in, in trying to, to allocate the funds, the of the funds that have been given by the federal government and then those are distributed out to our counties and to our our cities and they're all working in tandem they're all working uh, together and it's it's really been interesting to see how uh, a crisis brings uh, folks together um, I will tell you that just last week I think it was last week of course these days it seems like last week was a month ago so I think it was last week um, <laughs> The League of Municipalities, the Metro Mayors Coalition, who represents the large cities in North Carolina, and our association, the North Carolina Association of County Commissioners, signed a joint letter. And it's the first uh, of its kind that I'm uh, aware of that all of our organizations came together to send to our United States uh, congressional delegation, seeking uh, a unified voice and asking for additional uh, resources to help 
replace the revenue that we were just talking about in a previous segment, because that is going to be critically needed to, to continue the services that uh, we have to, that we are mandated to do that. And so the cities, the counties, the mayors have all come together to ask for that, as well as flexibility in those dollars. The Congress has already approved about $4 billion for North Carolina. Uh, the state legislature has appropriated about half of that at this point, about 300 million of that is uh, going to, to local government. But we're, um, we're waiting on action by Congress to basically say that we can use those dollars in a more flexible manner. Right now, they're, they're very tied uh, and restrictive, uh, restricted to COVID-19, basically expenditures that have already taken place. And we're going to need that flexibility to help us uh, replace some of those lost revenues that we're going to experience. So where are some of the possible ways that uh, county governments can cut expenses? As you mentioned, human services, social services, the school system, all these things are going to have difficulty in cutting, uh, finding big uh, amounts of money to save. Where are possible savings? Where are the expenses that perhaps maybe could be delayed or, uh, or employees furloughed or whatever? Well, that's a tough question to, to answer because uh, the I, the, it's in the eye of the beholder for each county commissioner board. You know, every everything is important to someone. And so it's a, I think it comes down to a question of priority setting. Um, and what, uh, uh, you know, what a county feels is its best uh, and top priority versus its, you know, last priority. And so, uh, but there's an interest group out there for everything that thinks that their issue is is the major issue. I will say to you that traditionally, in any downturn economy, um, this is at all levels of government. Um, my experience has, has demonstrated that your capital projects, uh, your maintenance types of projects are the first things to be placed on hold. Anything that can be delayed uh, to protect other services that touch people's lives, uh, which is, again, what a, a major thrust and function of county government are, are programmatic pieces that touch people's lives. Um, as an aside, I, I think I've said this on your show before that, you know, I consider uh, county government the front door to democracy, um, that, uh, that people, the people, uh, walk through county doors every day to interact with their government, at, uh, whether it be their court systems, their uh, their election boards, all of those those types of things that are real real uh, hands on government work that takes place at the at the county level and, and you just can 't cut those services you 've got to have an election you 've got to operate the courts you have to operate public health you 've got to operate the school systems and and build schools so there's there 's no really easy answer uh, to that question um, and it 's going it 's going to make hard choices for our county commissioners. Uh, in the next coming weeks, months. And of course, any cut uh, is counterproductive to uh, getting the economy back because all cuts will therefore result in uh, uh, cuts in jobs or at least uh, affect uh, how many people are employed, and that's counterproductive to getting out of a recessionary economy. I mean, we've run into this thing a dozen times. The County Commissioners Association, I think, dates back to 1908. Uh, That's correct. And yep. so you've been through recessions before. You went through the Great Recession, and you went through World War One uh, and Two, and of course, all of those situations uh, changed the economic situations that we had in North Carolina, as far as the labor market and supply and demand and all that sort of thing. But uh, 
the, the sad thing about balancing the budget, uh, and North Carolina's uh, governments do have to have a balanced budget, is it's counterproductive to getting out of a recession. The federal government, of course, keeps borrowing. And I don't know when we're going to pay that back, but that's aside from the point. Well, I guess my grandchildren won't have to worry about that. Yeah, we, you know, we have um, a very diverse membership all across the uh, North Carolina. And, uh, and, and that, that viewpoint is certainly something that we hear about of, and on the other side of the viewpoint of like we need to spend more uh, versus like we don't need to keep printing money and who's going to pay for that. So those viewpoints are, are expressed and, uh, um, and are, are, are in our membership. And, it's, and that's a really great thing about our membership is that we balance, everything is balanced. It's a balanced approach to look at, at how we approach our public policy. Um, I wanted to uh, reference something that I wanted to speak about something you referenced about it's counterintuitive to make cuts to spur the local economy because as you've heard the phrase all politics is local economies are local too and trying to spur the economy uh, in a county is is one of the things that our county commissioners at each county level they want to do they want to help our small businesses they want to help those businesses thrive because when they know that when they do they have a great a local economy and, and, a, and a great county. Um, oftentimes, uh, the county government is one of the largest, if not the largest, employer in the county. And so uh, that is correct. Your statement is correct. If a county is then forced to either pull back on uh, some of its programmatic spending or it has to downsize, uh, that's going to impact that local economy and that county's uh, ability to thrive uh, as well. So Yes, I agree. Well, it's going to be tough and uh, lots of tough choices and so forth. And let's turn a little bit to the school systems of North Carolina, because, again, this is a a situation where part of the funding comes from the state and uh, part of the funding comes from the county. So uh, explain to the listeners exactly what the county's responsibility is in running the school systems and where that money comes from. Sure. We'll be happy to do that. And um, uh, a little, I guess, history lesson, and uh, if those uh, on your listeners who've listened to this before might get a little repeat uh, education here, that, uh, you know, from a funding responsibility, the state of North Carolina, and this goes back to the Great Depression, uh, Don, in the 1930s, um, after, you know, we, we saw a situation where pre-1930s, um, a lot of uh, counties, not a lot, but there were some counties and uh, cities that ended up going bankrupt. They, they, uh, th- they, couldn't, uh, they couldn't make it through the Great Depression. And so there was some significant financial reforms in the 1930s that, um, that basically placed North Carolina and positioned us to be one of the most solid, um, well-administered local government systems in the United States. One of those key components was the local government commission. So if a county wants to build something, say they want to build a courthouse or a school, let's talk about schools since we're talking about schools, they want to build a school, they need to go and and, uh, present their plans to the local government commission, which is housed in the state treasurer's office, um, and basically present their books and say, look, here we want to borrow this money, we want to issue a bond, and it has to be approved. And so those uh, guardrails uh, in place have really helped North Carolina uh, local governments and the state uh, achieve great success fiscally uh, and be responsible. And, and in fact, you, we have more 
a triple A bond rated counties in the nation uh, per capita, I would argue, than any other state uh, in the union. So that's a that's a good thing. Um, and, and it's important to point out how much money that saves that can be put into the actual project. That's correct. If you get a better, higher bond rating, which our counties are have most counties have good bond ratings, and so is our state. Like I think a triple A is where we are now then you get a lower interest rate. It, it allows you to borrow money at a lower rate, and therefore have additional funding to build the things that you need to build. And I don't know how we are on time for our segment, Don, but I, I'm gonna get into a little bit more on the, the history about the schools, uh, if I can. Yeah, you've got um, about a minute and a half. Okay, great. Well, I'll try to be quick. Uh, on the school systems, you know, counties are responsible for building the buildings. That's the capital. The state is, is uh, responsible for the operation. However, they've blended together over time. And uh, all told, all of our counties statewide are putting about $3 billion, with a B, into operational spending. And the state is helping uh, through some dollars through capital, through lottery fundings, or sometimes they'll do a bond. So we're responsible for doing uh, building the, the school buildings. Um, that's our primary thrust, but we're also adding into the operational. Something we should talk about, I think, is broadband, because that's going to be a big issue moving forward as it relates to schools and education moving forward, especially in this pandemic. And the economy is overall, too, because it affects the way commerce is carried on as well. Indeed. Well, you, you timed out perfectly to end this segment uh, with time enough for me to say that we'll be back with uh, another segment with Kevin Leonard, who's the executive director of the North Carolina Association of County Commissioners, and we'll do that right after these messages. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Is this tree good for climbing? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Safe gun storage saves lives. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. That's nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers with Kevin Leonard. Kevin is the executive director of the North Carolina Association of County Commissioners. He uh, uh, has been in that role. How long have you been? Since June of 2009, something like that? Um, I've been with the association since June, yep, about a, a little over 10 years. I've been the executive director since 2014. 
Well, and they said you couldn't keep a job. I mean, that's amazing. <laughs> I know. I don't. I don't. I, I keep fooling them. I'm not sure how they keep letting me do this. It's the best job in the world. Well, it is. It, it is a great job in North Carolina, of course, uh, uh, because of its uh, its its uh, interesting set of uh, challenges and opportunities. is a great state. It's a state of choice, and uh, we have many counties that are growing like leaps and bounds in in the good economy and others that are either stagnant or losing. And so that presents a challenge for you as you advise your county commissioners on how to operate. I guess we have about, what, 35 or 40 counties that are prosperous and about 60 counties that may even be losing population or certainly stagnant. So that's uh, challenging. It, it is. Um, you know, it, we have a saying here at the association, if you've been to one county, you've been to one county. Uh, they're all, they're all different. They're all wonderful. Um, they each do present their own challenges. You know, I, uh, an anecdotal story. I had the opportunity to attend a board meeting a year or more ago. I think it was in Currituck County and I attended their board meeting and they were having a debate about a part of their County that you can only access by driving on the beach. And so it was, and, and they were having trouble with, uh, you know, trying to figure out how to navigate around horses and beachgoers. And so uh, you, you're, you've got one county who's dealing with that, and then you have a, a mountain county who's dealing with rock slides and closing their main arteries and shutting one half of the county off from the other. So it does. It presents unique challenges, and, and you'd reference the economic challenges. Um, and and that is, that is, it, is, it is a tough thing to do for these local leaders, but they do it because they love their county. They love where they're from and they love their neighborhoods and they want to make, they all want to make them better. So um, it's, it's a real joy to work for, for our county commissioners and our county leaders around the state. Well, of course, the county commissioners also dole out the money to the boards of education to run the school systems. And of course, that puts them in a position to participate in those decisions. And right now, one of the main decisions is when the schools K through 12 resume their activities and how, and what are the things you're hearing in that regard? Well, the, uh, the state legislature has the main uh, thrust of when to start schools. And it's, it's actually been a rather contentious debate over the past several years about the school calendar. Um, you've got uh, different elements at play um, about when to start the, the school year. This is in a, in a regular setting without a pandemic. Uh, and that has to do with a lot of conversations around travel and tourism, trying to preserve the summer for folks who, who uh, you know, are, are in the travel and tourism industry and not starting school too soon or too early because they don't want it to interrupt the, the, the tourism and travel uh, calendars. And so that's a constant debate that's uh, that, that's been going on. Now, it's very complex and it's complicated because of the COVID-19 pandemic issue. And, and basically, school's been out um, since March. Um, again, we, we should talk about broadband in a second and how that relates to that. But um, for this subject matter, the state legislature came in and in, in basically a special session to talk about a lot of things related to the pandemic. One of the things was the school calendar issue, and they've given a little bit more latitude uh, for the start date in August, uh, this coming August, so that they can figure out how to come back into the schools uh, most effectively and safe and safely. 
Um, I think school systems right now are still, as of May, trying to grapple with how they're going to do that and whether they're going to have sort of a rotation basis on bringing kids in, um, you know, on different days or whether they're going to have to space them out. Uh, on, in my mind, I think it's actually going to cause a school construction debate because if you're going to have to and they're going to require more space for a limited number of kids in each classroom because of the pandemic, well, you're going to have to build on to schools or some figure some other uh, unique way out of, of working on uh, giving enough space for kids to be in. So it's going to be complex. I don't think there's a clear answer right now, but they're going to be, ha- they're going to have to work on that over the summer. And then you add into that, the, uh, the questions about uh, high school athletics, because that's a very, a very important part of the social life of, especially the smaller counties, uh, the, Friday night football is huge, and uh, uh, the very uh, idea of not having a football season is uh, is one that uh, is really, really strange and difficult to uh, to imagine. Uh, so you've got that to, to throw into the mix as well. Absolutely. I mean, it's just amazing how you know this pandemic has touched every part of I think everyone's life, and it's really. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how we proceed forward, you know, coming back into, um, into what a new normal uh, may be. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, for sure. Do you think that long range, this may actually, uh, again, uh, enable us to consider uh, a situation where more and more courses are taught online and, uh, um, and that may ease the requirement somewhat for classrooms in some circumstances. I, um, from a planning perspective on building schools, which our counties again are responsible for, and it's a constant thing on my mind and on our mind about building schools, I would say that I hope so. That said, in our number one legislative priority, as I've mentioned on your show before uh, in this biennium is broadband access and building digital infrastructure. Counties seek to have the law changed that would allow counties to help build infrastructure to provide that infrastructure to the private sector so they can light it up and get uh, high-speed internet out into parts of our counties that do not have it. You know, we're, we're, a little, we're a little different from a county perspective. We're different in the aspect of we have counties that just don't have it meaning they don't have digital infrastructure. They don't have broadband connectivity. And uh, state leaders have been pointing it out to, in talking with us and into the media that, that there is a bright light shining on this issue right now that we've got to resolve. Because if the state government is going to basically say that kids have to go home and learn, and then they don't have access to the internet to do so, that's a problem. That's a policy problem. And um, we county governments, as I said, we, we're the local arm of the state government. We know where there is internet connectivity and where there is not. We don't need a map from the FCC to show us whether we have it or not. We know because we live there. And, and so we need the General Assembly to take, um, um, to take action and give counties the ability to build infrastructure Um, like towers and putting fiber in the ground into areas that desperately need it. And then we can, um, we can help do that. And as an ancillary benefit, you referenced it earlier, Don, 
an ancillary benefit is that that's going to help spur commerce. That's going to help uh, make small businesses thrive and run out in some of these smaller counties that have some of the most difficult challenges of trying to get people out there, businesses and, and otherwise. So we've got to work on this issue. and We've got to do it together with the, with the state. Another sort of side benefit of, of this downturn will be the fact that I think we know that we can count on low interest rates, at least for the foreseeable future. Uh, and that may help in some bond referendums. And that might indeed uh, keep the infrastructure picture moving forward and put people back to work. So there, there are some uh, folks who will be advocating, I imagine, for some bond issues. So Speaker Moore uh, yesterday at our County Assembly Day, which again was virtual, um, he advocated for that uh, to our commissioners. And Speaker Tim Moore from Cleveland uh, has been on record before, and the House passed um, a bond proposal, a $2 billion bond proposal on school construction. Yesterday he talked about a bond proposal that would not only include school construction, but it would include uh, transportation and uh, I know there's a lot of transportation needs in North Carolina. That's not something our counties really involve themselves in in transportation issues. Uh, but I know that for the good of commerce and the good of North Carolina, it's a, something that we should uh, all, you know, uh, take a close look at. Um, I would say also that we would advocate and be in favor of uh, using some of those school construction dollars for uh, digital infrastructure for schools uh, across the state. So that if the uh, General Assembly were to take action and pass uh, counties having the authority to build infrastructure, and then being able to use some of those bonds, the bond dollars to help build that infrastructure, that again, we're not, we counties do not want to be a service provider. We don't want to be a cable guy, or we don't want to be uh, the, the industry. We just want to help build the infrastructure, basically the pipes, uh, to get the, the, the information and the digital, uh, the, the digital infrastructure there so that they can, they can utilize it for their networks. That's how we're going to help uh, turn, uh, make the turn on this and make progress on this. So yeah, those two things together would be great. Uh, legislation uh, allowing counties to build infrastructure and some type of bond proposal would be great because there's not, as the speaker said, money is really cheap right now in borrowing, and we should take advantage of that as a state, especially with our AAA bond rates. Well, that uh, that and it appears that the interest rates will be low for some time, and also probably things like buying right away and things of this nature also during any kind of a slowdown uh, become um, problematic. That they would also be a, bar a bargain or a better buy than when the times are booming. So all of it points to the possibility that uh, that may be one of the ways that we get people back to work and uh, also uh, solve some long-range problems at the same time. Our guest is Kevin Leonard. He's the Executive Director of the North Carolina Association of County Commissioners. And we'll be back with one final segment here on Carolina Newsmakers right after these messages. Not completing high school is more of a social thing than it was an academic thing. I came out in the 11th grade Nobody was embracing you. The kids were cruel. It was very difficult to be gay. Even though all these years have passed, I still had that longing to have my diploma. The hard part was determining that I was gonna do it, but I definitely didn't do it alone. 
At age 30, with the help of her mentor, Carissa finished her high school diploma. I have a mentor, Maria. She convinced me to continue my education and to finish what I started to get my diploma. Just never judges. She's a true role model. If you're even considering getting your high school diploma, go get it. You can do it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen. For late nights writing English papers. For your teen's music taste. For dinners, where they talk more on their phone than with you. For the first time, they call you mom. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen. And you can't imagine the reward. To learn more about adopting a teen, visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest is Kevin Leonard. He's the executive director of the North Carolina County uh, Association of County Commissioners. And uh, that's an organization that represents all 100 counties in the state of North Carolina. Uh, advising them on how to have efficient county government. Uh, we have uh, invited Kevin because of the situation that we're in and how it will affect those counties and, and the choices that they're going to have to make. I would remind the listeners this program comes in two forms. A number of stations carry a half-hour version of the program, which leaves out two of the segments. So if you are listening to one of those stations would like to hear uh, some uh, more uh, of the words of wisdom and the pearls from uh, Kevin Leonard, then you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and you will have those two segments that you missed. And if you'd like to share the entire broadcast or hear it again, you can also do that as well. That's carolinanewsmakers.com. Well, uh, Kevin, let's, let's just kind of go over the situation again. Uh, revenues are going to be down. Expenses may actually... Uh, well, they, they may be cut, but in many ways, uh, there are going to be some demands of uh, providing some services that are not currently being provided. And so somehow or another, the county commissioners are going to have to solve that problem because in North Carolina, we do have a balanced budget requirement. Yes, we do. At the county level, we're required to balance our budget and submit a balanced budget. That, that is correct. Well, first of all, Don, uh, I just want to say again, thanks for having, having us on the call. And, and uh, I did want to say that that might be the first time someone said I had words of wisdom or pearls of wisdom. So I, I just appreciate you saying that. Um, I would be remiss if I, if I didn't say this, um, I may have said it earlier, but I'd like to say it again. And that is that, you know, County governments are on the front lines of this pandemic and the folks who work in County government are you, many of our, um, many of your listeners, if, uh, may think of county governments uh, on the front lines of the pandemic as the folks who work in the public health departments, or they may uh, think of them as the EMS first responders or uh, public safety, like your sheriff's deputies. These are people who are basically, they, they cannot turn away. If they have an emergency response call, they've got to go in and if they know that there's COVID-19 exposure possibilities, they're trying to protect themselves as much as they can with uh, PPE and all that uh, protective equipment. So those are, those are some of those local government heroes that you're, you know, that you, you hear about in the news. They're, they're on the job uh, 24 seven 
and those are your county government employees. But a lot of people don't think about some of the other critical services that counties provide, um, like your water systems, uh, your infrastructure systems, your solid waste systems that are, are operated by county governments across the state, things that we take for granted on a daily basis that just make regular life run. That's what counties do on a daily basis. And, and so they're, they're, they're in your county. If you're listening you, in North Carolina, you, you live in a county and uh, they're making the general operations of government run within your county. And again, we mostly take those things for granted uh, every day. And, and we are going to probably uh, see revenue losses in the 20% to 40% range. And uh, I know our county governments and our county leaders are very concerned about that. That's why we're hopeful that the federal government and the state governments will help with uh, additional assistance and flexibility with funds coming from the federal government to help support those things so we can avoid cuts and avoid layoffs uh, just like uh, others are having to do as well. Well, as uh, you mentioned earlier, you've got two principal uh, sources of funds, property tax and sales tax. And of course, in any slowdown in the economies, retail sales and uh, go down dramatically. And so therefore your tax revenue is going to be down. What percentage of uh, the average budget, uh, if there is such a thing, uh, uh, does the sales tax portion of the revenue count account for? Oh, Don, um, I'm trying to remember that number off the top of my head. I don't have an exact number for you, but I'm pretty sure it's it's a significant amount of of, of dollars coming into the to the to the um, to the county budget. I'll, I'll have to follow back up with you and get you that number. But it, it's uh, uh, I'd hate to venture a guess, but it's a pretty significant part, a majority of of the uh, of the county uh, budget. And of course, uh, you also mentioned the fact that it may be some delayed reaction to the uh, property tax situation, because if people are out of jobs, in many cases, they may not be able to pay their property tax and property tax values may go down. And I mean, it's a complicated picture. It is. It's very complex. Just the balance of uh, making sure that the revenue streams are coming in as, as, uh, as they normally would. And normal is, you know, again, in the eye of the beholder, what normal is, but um, yeah, just to recap a little bit. So the sales tax generated at the local level is sent to the state and then will lag behind about three months. So the county government will see the results of the, the down economy, especially in April, probably in the July, August timeframe. And so um, that's going to, that's when that will hit. And then later on, about six months um, later, I would say we're going to see some impacts on the property tax because people who have lost their jobs, people who find themselves in financial straits, they will have a challenge to, uh, you know, pay their property, pay their bills and things like that. So we're going to have to uh, really see how that's going to impact our budgets. By the way, I uh, had a chance to get an answer on that other question. Sales tax equates in an average around 20% for, um, for a county's budget. So that's a pretty big chunk of money uh, when you're talking about uh, a, a county budget. So 20, around you know, 15 to 20%. How much more money, because you know, the, the state keeps talking about uh, increasing testing and that falls back on the hospitals, some of which uh, counties have that burden as well, hospitals. I mean, we didn't mention that. Uh, that's yeah. not as big a factor as it used to be, but it, uh, it, it's still a big it's factor. It's not. There are several counties that still operate their own hospitals, uh, but it is, it's few and far between these days. But yeah, that has been, and mostly in rural parts, 
of the state and rural hospitals um, are are having their own struggles right now, yeah. uh, financially speaking. And uh, in fact, there was a there was a significant pot of money that was approved by the General Assembly out of this COVID response uh, for rural hospitals. So that's going to help them remain afloat. But uh, there is concern about the long term um, viability of some of those rural hospitals, which of course is not good for our rural communities because uh, that's going to impact uh, health. And then you, then you have a question about telehealth. Can telehealth step in and bridge that gap? But you can't do telehealth if you don't have broadband connectivity. And so it's all this vicious cycle of, of things we, we, and challenges we all need to be working on. How much uh, additional burden is going to fall back on the counties with regard to testing? Because everybody keeps mentioning that testing is one of the key ingredients uh, to uh, controlling this situation. Yeah, so there's a lot of talk about this subject matter right now, especially from the state um, and, of course, from the federal government as well. Uh, I think in a fortunate uh, way, we're seeing increased funding for testing through the and coming to the public health department. So there's and there's also um, uh, conversations and, and, and talk going on about outside private testing. North Carolina, uh, as you may have seen in the news, uh, is home to LabCorp. And that's a very positive thing. We got LabCorp in North Carolina who has ramped up their testing. Uh, but I think that that's going to become a norm, uh, the testing, which will provide, uh, uh, which will produce more pressure on counties to do more testing, for therefore more revenue needed to support the expenditure. Uh, again, funding coming in from the state right now, but in a long-term capacity until they uh, are able to come up with a vaccine uh, we, I think testing will become the normal way of life until we reach that point. Well, that's certainly uh, uh, something that uh, the point is well being uh, driven home by both uh, federal and state uh, uh, health directors. Well, Kevin, our time is gone. We appreciate you sharing these thoughts with us, and we look forward to having you back with us again. Uh, if you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend, or if you'd like to hear the two segments you missed, you can go to carolinanewsmakers.com and do just that. The program has been produced by Jason Kong, and he'll have another guest for us next week. The next week, have a nice week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. <laughs>